Okay, just before we dive back in this week, we're actually not going to be in the book of Psalms, but in the book of 1 Corinthians. But just wanted to encourage you as you continue to think through this time and all that it means for you and your family to take time to thank God, to thank God for his goodness to you, to us as, as a church, to us as his children, also to our community, to our nation, uh, the resources we have, the availability even of just communicating. And it's, it's not corporate gathered worship, but it's as close as we can get, just the ability to do something like this. And then also take time to encourage others to reach out and encourage others and just take time during this time to, um, as you have availability to see how others are doing, to encourage them. And then as you're able to lean into community, to lean into the community, particularly of grace, the community of the church. Well, let's begin with a word of prayer. God, we do thank you for your word. I thank you for the way that it addresses every area, not just of our lives, but of possibility. You are the source of all ideas and your word is true wisdom. God, it's tempting for us to uh, look to uh, our own ideas or to the ideas of those around us for true wisdom. And yet you tell us in your word, it's where we find true wisdom. And even when it seems humanly foolish, what you have declared in the cross of Christ is wisdom. God, it meets our greatest need. It satisfies the judgment and wrath of God against our sin. It declares that Jesus Christ is Lord. It declares that we need him. So God, as we come now to your word, I pray that you will help us see, you will help us understand. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, just a couple of things as we start here. One is to, to do this with our Bible open, with your Bible open, that will help. And then uh, for this 10 or so minutes, uh, to set aside other things, to try to eliminate distractions as much as is possible in this venue, to try to dive into the Word of God uh, together. The last few weeks we've been in Psalm 91, just meditating on the goodness of God as a protector, as a refuge, as a safe place where we can hide. This week, as we think about Holy Week or the week of the Passion of Christ, I thought it'd be good for us to start today uh, in just our time together by thinking about the cross of Christ and what it means for us. Why is it that the cross of Christ is a message of hope? And so I'm going to pull up some notes here on the screen so you can just uh, see them rather briefly. And then uh, we will dive in together. So we're going to be in verse 18 here, 1 Corinthians 1.18. The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And what we'll see here is that the message of the cross is a message of hope. The message of the cross is a message of hope. We'll kind of see a few things in this verse as we track through it. First, that there's one message, and that's what, what Paul here calls the word of the cross. But there are two responses. Those who hear the word as foolishness, and then those who see this word as the power of God. And based on these responses, then there are two results. Those who are perishing and those who are being saved. Those who are perishing and those who are being saved. What we see here in this passage is that there is a contrast between God's wisdom and our wisdom, or between divine wisdom and human wisdom. Paul writes this to a church dealing with division and distraction. The church in Corinth is a very prosperous city. Uh, it's economically uh, diverse as well as bustling. It's a time uh, much like 21st century Western Europe and America, where people kind of have uh, everything that they think they need. And yet, in this culture, their thinking is driven by wisdom or philosophy. 
So Greek philosophers, there were a bunch of different schools of thought, more than 50 schools of thought, sort of governed uh, the way people thought. And sometimes if people weren't careful, that philosophy rather than scripture itself or the gospel could govern the way that Christians thought as well. And so Paul writes to this church and it's been decimated by division, by decline, by worldliness, by a very open, evident sin. And Paul writes and he says that the message of the cross is a message of hope. And what it's here, it's what he specifically calls the word of the cross. Now, this word, word, it's, it's a word you're familiar with. It's, it's what you, we find in John 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the word, was the logos, the, the originating idea, the idea from which all other ideas spring. And Paul says that this message is a message of hope for those who believe. Now, this is a little bit like saying uh, an electric chair is a sign of hope or, or lethal injection. You know, that should be a ceremony of hope. Because the cross, now it comes down to us today and it has all of these historical and cultural overtones. And so we associate it because we see it, we celebrate it, we sing about it. But in this day, it would have been so fresh that it was just an instrument of bloody execution, of gruesome execution. In fact, it was meant to make a display of the people who died on this instrument. And so the cross has overtones in this day. It would never seem to be a message of hope. And yet Paul says it is a message of hope and power. And he says, there's this one message, the word of the cross. Well, what is the word of the cross? Well, in one word, it's the gospel. The gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ died to save sinners. Whereas Paul says it later in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, verses 3 and 4, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he raised again the third day in accordance with the scriptures. This is the message of the cross. There's one message, it's been one message for 2,000 years, and it's this message that brings hope. And yet, though there's one message, there are at least two responses. And Paul hits them in this verse. The first response, he says, is, is to hear it as foolishness. And so who are these people that, that hear this message as foolishness. They're people that hear the gospel, the words of the gospel, but those words sound to them as, as folly or as, as if it's ludicrous. Well, what in the world would make the gospel, what would make good news sound foolish? Well, first of all, Paul writes to perishing people, to dying people. Well, it doesn't make sense logically that someone who's dying would want someone else who's dying to rescue them. Like you don't rescue through death. Death is a way to end things. It's not a beginning. And so there's this kind of uh, irony within the gospel message itself, within the fact that it's a cross, it's a death, and yet death leads to life. It doesn't make any sense at all. It'd be like saying you are trying to uh, quit smoking, you join a smoking club, or you're trying to quit gluttony, you join a, uh, you know, an all-you-can-eat buffet club or something like this. It just doesn't make any sense that there's this connection between life and, and, and death. But there's more than this in the gospel that, humanly speaking, sounds crazy. A spirit, the Holy Spirit, joining with a human and, and creating another human, this doesn't feel possible. Or in a single human being, two, two natures, a divine and human nature united in one person in Jesus Christ. And so you've got God and you've got man, and you've got this, this person with this divine capability and yet willingly subjecting himself to human limitations. And so we've got all these things that if you say them and you just take a step back from sort of our faith cradle, they sound crazy or foolish. 
And these people who believe that this is foolish then believe in the power of human wisdom. And this is the contrast Paul has painted. He's, he's actually hit it in the, in the verse before, in verse 17. Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of eloquent wisdom or of human wisdom, human ideas, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. So if we fill the gospel message with human ideas, it actually saps it of its power. It saps it of its hope. Well, what does human wisdom say? Human wisdom would tell us we can solve our own problems. We don't need someone else to intervene in our lives. Human wisdom would tell us we can help ourselves. God helps those who help themselves. We take a little step and, and God rewards that taking that step. Human wisdom tells us we can address our own biggest problems. We can find a cure for poverty. We can find a cure for cancer. We can find a cure for disease, death, war, famine, these kinds of things. And it's easy when life is comfortable to believe this, isn't it? It's easy to believe that we don't need God. And yet what COVID-19 tells us is we cannot solve our biggest problems. I mean, there have been times in my life when I thought the world as I know it might feel like it got shaken up or came to an end. But I've, I guess I've always thought it would be more like a world war or an atomic bomb or, you know, someone sending a nuclear warhead in the United States or something like this. And it's something we can't see. And God has taken one little illness, one virus, and shown us we cannot address our biggest problems. God must do this for us. We can't solve even this most basic problem. So human wisdom acts like it can solve its own problems. And yet the gospel is a message that says you need God to intervene in your life. We need God to act on our hearts, to, to, to take rebel sinners and make them righteous in Christ. And so this first group is those who hear this message as foolishness. The second are those who hear it as the power of God. Those are people who hear this gospel message as God's power, and this power brings hope. Well, who are these people? These are people who recognize that the gospel isn't mere words. It's a message from God. It's a divine message with a divine author. And we recognize that our most basic problems are unsolvable apart from God. Well, how is it then? So if, if this message is a powerful message, how does it become God's power for us? In other words, how do we connect to this message? Well, God's word tells us it's by faith. It's by believing this message. In fact, everyone who's accessing uh, this Bible study right now is accessing it through some sort of device, either calling it on a phone or, or uh, sort of clicking a link on a computer or a tablet or a smartphone. But that, that phone, that device, that computer can't operate apart from power. And we plug into power to charge our devices. And what God says is that it's like, uh, like plugging in a lamp. If you don't plug in the lamp, it doesn't matter how many times you turn the switch. And for us, faith is what plugs us into the power of God in our lives. It connects us to this message. The power of the gospel is infinitely powerful, but it becomes effective for us, efficient for us personally through faith. It's when we believe this message. And these two responses, to hear it as foolishness or to hear it as God's power on display, lead to two results. One is what Paul calls perishing. It's foolishness to those who are perishing. And perishing literally means you are wasting away. It's, it's an evidence of what happens in all of us over time. I don't know, for somewhere in the neighborhood of, of zero to 25, maybe 27, 28, life gets better. After that, it's one long decline. We have over-the-hill parties, you know, when people turn 40 or something like this. But it, it happens long before that. I remember reading years ago that major league players, they peaked at age 27. So for 65 to 80% of our lives, it's a downhill decline. It's, it's a wasting away. 
What Paul indicates here is that for those who don't believe the gospel, this perishing, this wasting away is eternal. You will be, forever be in decline. Our bodies are wasting away, and ultimately, Paul says, part of God's judgment is in eternal perishing. But there is another result, and that is those who are being saved. Ultimately, it's being saved from God and his judgment. But also, good news is being saved from the effects of perishing. We won't waste away. We will be incorruptible. So the question is, as we, as we wrap this up, how is the message of the cross a message of hope? The message of the cross is a message of hope because it satisfies God's justice and guarantees God's mercy and grace for sinners who don't deserve it. And in the end, the resurrection guarantees this. And Paul here talks about those who are perishing. And in 1 Corinthians 15, his long chapter on the resurrection, he says that we will put on the imperishable. The perishable body must put on the imperishable. You see, the death burial, and resurrection of Christ reverse the effects of the curse by which we're all slowly dying. Death becomes life. The perishable becomes imperishable. Sickness is healed. Despair is hope. You see, for those who believe the message of the cross is a message of hope. This is God's word to us, and I hope that in this time that this is the most encouraging thing. Even though we're apart, we celebrate the death of Christ and we celebrate death because it's a guarantee for us of life and an imperishable future ahead.